my cousin goes there and, and next thing you know, I'm in the 11th grade and they bring him back in a body bag. Uh, he was like 6'2", and they bring a bag like this big with his body parts. And that moment, just like when I was in the, in the morgue and that hit me, I was like, mm, I don't think I want to be here. Dr. Hamid Nasseri, welcome to the It's Not That Deep podcast, boss. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's really nice to have you on the show. Uh, for those who don't know, you are a practicing dentist for over 30 years. You're the founder of Real Smile Dentistry that has multiple locations here in Miami. Your father, husband, and a client of ours as well, which kind of reminds me you're something of an influencer now, too. <laughs> Since true. we started working together, yeah, you've uh, gained a little bit of online notoriety. So, so that's got to be special. That's, that's new to me. So. <laughs> yes, it's it's great to have you on the show, boss. I just, I, I have to say, I have so much respect for you, your, your business, and everything that Thank you've you. done, and your approach. You yeah. take a very different approach than anyone I've ever met to an otherwise pretty cookie-cutter industry. A lot of people are doing things very similar and, and kind of copying each other and, and, and fighting for kind of the same customers. Correct. But what you've done is, is taken an approach of, you know, incorporating the physiology and the lifestyle and, and you know, a whole total holistic approach when looking at a patient as opposed to just looking inside someone's mouth and, and how their teeth look. And we're going to dive into all of that today on this podcast, but I want to kind of start at the beginning. How did you even get into this? Because I know you have kind of an interesting story of, of you know, your origins. So how did I get into what, dentistry? Or into dentistry, I, like, it, it, yeah, escaping to, to yeah. a different well, country you know, and all that stuff. Uh, the quick, short version of the story is that, you know, I, I finished uh, eighth grade uh, in, in uh, back home in Iran. Uh, this was 1979. It was at the same time when the, the revolution was happening or, you know, what they called the revolution. Um, and, you know, there was a period of a uh, couple of years, a real transition that nobody was in power. It was really great freedom, actually. Um, and, um, you know, it was, you know, I was reading crazy books, you know, for an eighth grader, I was reading Marx and, uh, you know, uh, and, and I read the, 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 um, um, the biography of uh, Martin Luther King and all these books I, I see on the side of the streets they're selling. I was like, wow, what is this? Let me see this. Let me see that. So, you know, it just kind of set a different tone in my mind. And then, but by 1981, the, the Gulf War started, or, or, you know, Iraq attacked Iran and, and, you know, here I was, I was, uh, you know, in uh, 10th grade going to, to 11th grade. And, um, and uh, you know, I, we were in, in the capital and kind of away from it, so it wasn't as palpable for us as it was down south. Um, even though my father's business had gotten affected, my, my father's from down south, mm -hmm. in that, in that region, and his business, which was construction, was there. And that, that got affected because, uh, you know, they came and took all his equipment. He had bulldozers and your road building equipment and all that. All that was taken or bombed. And, of course, there was no work, so he was 
up, up in capital in, in Tehran with us. Uh, but what really got it uh, uh, like real for me was when my older cousin, uh, who was four years older than me, um, you know, he had finished high school, and you know, at that point there was nothing. You couldn't get your, your diploma. You couldn't get married. You couldn't open a business. You couldn't uh, go to to college or anything unless you listed for army. Wow! So you, you so had to. You had, it was mandatory. The only <laughs> the only road in front of you was going to the army because we needed people. And and you know, those first few years of the the, the war, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize, but. When the revolution happened, these guys came in, they killed all the generals. And they killed all the, you know, top pilots or anybody that was anybody they skipped. So we had all these uh, F-14s sitting on the ground, nobody got to fly it. And if they did, we didn't have the uh, spare parts for it. So, so effectively, we just had people. And they were doing World War I human wave against, you know, top-notch, you know, military uh, guns and ammunition on Iraqi side, which all the Western nations were helping, you know, from mm -hmm. Germany to the United States, you know. United well, States, I didn't even know that. That's yeah, crazy. the United States was giving them, you know. Weapons uh, and everything. Not only weapons, but also satellite uh, positioning of our, uh, our troops and all that. Germany was selling them uh, um, chemical weapons that we're using on Iran. So anyways, these are, I don't want to get into the politics of it, but mm -hmm. my cousin goes there and, and next thing you know, I'm in the 11th grade and they bring him back in a body bag. Uh, he was like 6'2 and they bring it back like this big with his body parts. And that moment, just like when I was in the, in the morgue and that hit me, I was like, mm, I don't think I want to be here. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, um, I just told my dad, listen, you know, I don't know how, but I'm not going to stay here um, for this. Uh, I'm going to try to find a way out. And, and he was like, yeah, yeah, don't worry. It's going gonna, it's gonna to go away. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. And mm -hmm. So I started looking. And um, first thing I realized is that, you know, I don't have a passport. I skipped school one day, went to the passport agency and tried to apply. And the guy's like, how old are you? I'm like 14. He's like, go, go come, come back with your parent. And I said, okay, give me the paperwork. So I, I got the paperwork, I went home, waited for that. Um, at that point, since he couldn't work, he had bought a farm outside of the city, so he would go for maybe a week or 10 days at a time. So I waited for him to come back, and I said, okay, you gotta, can't go back until you take me and get my passport. So um, finally he went and got it, and I'm like, why don't you apply for everybody? He's like, no, no, don't worry, we're gonna get it. A month after I got my passport, they closed the passport agency. No more passports were issued for the next five years. Wow. Um, wow. So I ended up being the only one in the family who actually had a passport. So um, the next order of things was, you know, how the hell we're going to get out of there because the borders were closed, uh, especially for, for young men. So um, I was talking to a couple of other friends of mine on the street, and their parents were physicians and more... Uh, um, well off. Well, I don't know well off, but they were more uh, familiar with things outside. We had never, my family had never, ex you know, exited the country. They had gone back and forth. They had family members out. And um, so they said, listen, you know what? My dad, one of them uh, said, hey, my dad is going to, they're looking into getting some smugglers and they're going to smuggle us through the border to Turkey. I said, hey, listen, 
whatever it is, sign me up. I'm going with you guys. Okay. And, uh, and I just got my dad uh, to go there, have a meeting with the, their dads, and, and um, just we set it up. And, and uh, all of a sudden, one day, in the summer of 82, um, we got in the car, we drove to the northwest part of Iran, and uh, there was a guy there with another 15 people waiting with a bunch of mules and donkeys, and they're like, okay, we get out of the car, we get on this. <laughs> wow. And uh, like around five o'clock in the afternoon, we got on and we started going up this mountain range, and um, the next morning, and we, you know, the whole night we were going over the actual border. And I remember, you know, it was pitch dark, of course, in the middle of nowhere mountain. You can see all the stars and and you see these eyes that come in around us and these were wolves and these guys that are around us, the, the, the smugglers are taking around. They have these long sticks. They have machine guns, but they don't want to shoot them. But they just like, yeah. and we're just, you know, three 15 year old kids with a bunch of other families and we're just, just making jokes and laughing. You, know, you gotta do that stuff when you're like that age because you're, it's, you're stupid and you don't think any bad, anything bad is gonna happen to you. <laughs> now wow. that I'm thinking, I'm like, holy shit, I would never let my kids go. <laughs> but nuts. but uh, so we go, we cross the river, we have to get off, cross this river, of course, ice cold in the middle of the mountain and then you see the, the guardhouse and it's like, okay, that's the guardhouse, we're gonna go around them and then we're gonna keep going. So we go around and, and uh, like around 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning next day, we get to this and he keeps showing us that light. We have to get to that light. And we're just dying. You know, it's 12 hours. We're just walking and then and he shows us that light. That's, that's where we want to go. And we finally get to the light and it is just this two room house on top of the mountain. It's on the turkey side. Mm. And there's this really simple farm guy up there with his family. One, one room is for him, his family. The other room is for the cows. And uh, we go inside there and we just sit down and we just pass out. And they send uh, to the city and they, they bring like three or four cars to get us all on. And, That's and, crazy. and we just get on the car and, uh, and we go to, I think the first, the biggest city there around there was Arzurum. And we go there, and uh, so they picked us up around 10 a.m., and we get there around 12.30, 1 o'clock. Um, and we eat something, and everybody separates. You know, at that point, you know, we separate. Um, one of the guys that, that was with me, um, his uncle uh, had sent, or basically they sent us with these other three people. They were older than us, two guys and a, and a, and a female. And they were like, we were like 15 and a half, and these guys were like in their uh, late 20s, maybe a 30-year-old. And um, so they were like supposedly, you know, watching out for us. And um, so we get into a bus with them, and now we start trekking. I don't know if you've looked at the map of Turkey. It looks like a long rectangle. So we're on this end, on the easternmost part, yeah. and the most eastern, and then we're trekking through all the way to the other side. We were trying to go to Istanbul or Ankara at that point, um, first to Ankara. So um, and I see this guy, I'm sitting next to one of the guys and I tell you, the guy keeps going like this and going like this and the whole time he's like, I'm like, why is he? 
keep doing this. <laughs> so finally, you know, and I, I, I have you guys ever been to Turkey? I have not, no? but it's, it's high it's up on a, my list. Yeah, yeah, it's just really cool, very good people, excellent food, fruits, best fruits in the world. Um, but man, don't ever get in the bus because every half an hour they want to stop for tea. Tea, chai, chai, let's have chai. <laughs> Reminds me of India. Like, I mean. oh, Jesus, guys, like, just let's go. <laughs> I know those long, those long bus journeys in India. I've done oh, so many of those. It's the funniest thing. So everything, we're like, oh, man, let's just keep going. So they, they stop. So one of the stops, this guy gets up and he takes his jacket off. And all of a sudden I see on his shirt, he has all these blood lines all over his back. And then we come to find out that they had just escaped that guy from the political prison. And he had all these lashes on his back that were bleeding. That's why he couldn't sit straight on the, on the bus, poor guy. And I'm like, shit, if they had caught us, they would have thought we were political also. That would have been. So anyway, so we get, we get to Ankara. And uh, uh, this is one of the funniest and one of the scariest parts. So, we finally get 7 a.m. the next morning, we get to Ankara. And um, the guy, one of those guys, they're like, okay, you guys wait here uh, in this park. We're gonna go and find a hotel so that, uh, you know, we gotta talk to them, make sure they don't, they don't call the police because we, we didn't have any entry visa, obviously. So they come back an hour later, oh yeah, we found the hotel and um, they promised us they're not gonna, they're not gonna, Check no them. issues. No issues. They're not going to call the police or anything. So um, my friends and I, we get a room and they get a room. And then I go take a shower right away. My other buddy takes a shower. And then the third one is in the shower. And all of a sudden, we see, boom, they kick the door open. And three guys, big guys coming in with guns. And they were like, oh, shit. Was the police? No. Who came in with they, they didn't lie. They didn't call the police. They called the Secret Service. Oh, my God. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> But in, in, in uh, hindsight, it was a lucky thing. So um, my friend comes out of the shower with a towel. And, and the only thing, you know, mind a 15-year-old, we're like looking at him, man, you're, you're fucked. They saw you naked. You're going to go to the... You're getting it. We had just watched, you know. Have you ever seen uh, Midnight Train? No, I haven't, but I've heard oh, of man, it. That was, that was a... Classical movie back in the you know 80s. You know we had all watched that movie. We're like, oh, they're gonna midnight train you, man. <laughs> <laughs> so they take us. Uh, at that point, it's like 10 o'clock. Again, they take us. You know, no rest. We're going to the station, and they interrogate us for three, four hours. And uh, so basically, they thought we're Armenian terrorists. Okay. That's what they were afraid of. Okay. So they see my name. You know, my name is obviously very Islamic. Uh, one of my friends, his last name is actually, uh, sounds very Armenian. But lucky for us, when he was leaving, he didn't know, but his grandmother just slipped like a small, uh, one of these small Quran, you know, the holy book in his backpack. So as they were like shaking it, all of a sudden they see that thing fall off. And they're like, oh, okay, they believe that we were Muslims. We were like, listen, you know, we just, <laughs> we're just, Traveling through, we don't want to yeah. stay here. We don't want yeah. any trouble, and um, and that's where we got lucky because Secret Service they didn't really want to deal with this kind of bullshit. Yeah, it's not they worth their time. They yeah, got they bigger fish want, to fry. Yeah, yeah. They, they, a they're like, you know what? Just get the hell out of town and don't come back here. 
get to Istanbul, nobody's going to know. Uh, we don't want the paperwork, basically. If it were the regular police, we would have been taken to the jail, and they would have processed us. They'd probably send us back, and then we would have been in, in big trouble in, in, in Iran. So they send an agent with us. They put us back on the, t on the bus again, and we're like, ah. And um, again, we start. So 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we start. And 9 o'clock the next day, 9 p.m. the next day, we get to Istanbul. Imagine how long we're in this bus with half-hour tea breaks, you know? It's like uh, <laughs> we're just, <laughs> I didn't want to see another bus the rest of my life. Um, so once we get there, we, we kind of like blended with the rest of the um, tourists. Mm -hmm. And um, after being there for a couple of weeks, we figured out that the, the only chance we had, the only choice we had was to really just go to Spain. They didn't require any visa, so we bought tickets for Spain. And, uh, and uh, we waited like half hour before our flight, and we went to the, to the line. Wow, so uh, Spain did not need a visa. No, no, at that point. I mean, it's wow. still up to now, I think, because their, their tourism is their number one economy. So, um, so uh, you can enter in there, and they automatically give, give you, at least at that point, a three-month visitor's visa. Cool. And then if you wanted to stay, you just go and, and renew it. Yeah. So we just got in, and then we went right to the line, and then the officer was, like, looking over back and forth, trying to find the entry visa. And, and, but then the airplane is lifting, and they're like, we're like, we're like, listen, we just, we just want to get out. Yeah. So uh, they just stamped us like, get the hell out of here. And, wow, um, so, so much like luck. Luck, yeah, uh, right? In, in this process, you know? <laughs> sure, yeah. so, I mean, that's, that's part of, uh, I think, anything. I, I personally, I don't know if I, I would call it luck. I think, I think luck is when preparedness coincides with opportunity. You know, you're, you get ready, you, you set some things up, and you just wait for that opportunity to happen. Mm -hmm. um, I think too much, um, too much credit is given or, or not given, or, or too many excuses, I'm not a lucky person, mm -hmm. and I'm, you know. Yeah, people, um, people use it to justify their, right. their you know, situation a little Correct. bit too when much. In reality, when you look at people who become, who do something, it's, uh, it's always because they had been trying and trying and trying and they had been prepared or they have, you know, have these qualifications that they, and then all of a sudden an opportunity finally comes up and then they say, oh, man, he got lucky. Uh, nobody looks at everything that went into that yeah. to get that. Yeah, they, they make themselves, you know, they make it easy for luck to happen to right. them because they did all the things. Right, I think. All of us, we get opportunities. Yeah. Whether I mean, look, you had the, the foresight at age 14 to know that I got to get a passport. Like that right, right, alone, right. this whole trip doesn't happen if you don't if see that yeah. you know, above your whole family. They didn't even see it. Right. So that, you know, that goes hand in hand with kind of what you were just saying. So to summarize, you leave you know, Iran, uh, you go through Turkey, you end up in Spain. How does that result in, in you, you know, going into the dentistry field? Like, what's the jump there now? Well, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, we have a joke in Iran and say as soon as the baby is born, you know, and they come out and they bang them, okay, what are you going to be? A, a <laughs> doctor, doctor or an engineer? engineer. <laughs> yeah, it's like, 
Yeah. So, it, and it, it comes become, you know, comes from the fact that, you know, uh, hardship and a difficult life, they always know that if you're, you have some sort of health professional or, or engineer, you know, you, you get to have a comfortable and, and decent life. Maybe not break all the banks, but, but you always have bread on the table, right? Yeah. Um, and and uh, so that was in my mind that, oh, okay, I'm going to go to medicine until I, I, when I got to Boston, and of course I finished high school uh, in Boston. And then um, uh, at that point I was uh, trying to decide, so I started undergraduate, I was uh, studying uh, uh, chemistry, my, my uh, um, major was chemistry. I, I loved chemistry, um, and I thrived in it. And um, I studied uh, what, what, uh, what exactly two and a half years. I had like 72 credits, but it, it was all sciences. There was no, you know, poetry or you know, for psychology 101. No none, none of that stuff. So it was like solid, complete uh, prerequisite for uh, uh, either medical school or, or, or dental school. And uh, concurrently, I was working in the hospital in, in the pharmacy. And uh, uh, just being in the hospital uh, environment, honestly, I <clears throat> didn't like it. It was very depressing for me. It's, uh, you know, I, would, uh, I was a pharmacy tech, so I would answer the phones from the floors, and they would call and say, oh, this, this discontinue the meds for patients, so and so they expired. And expired? Patient expired? Like a carton of milk expired. You know, I, I don't ever want to tell anybody that your mom expired, you know, your dad expired, your son expired. It's, 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 it's cold. It's yeah. very cold. It's, it's. So it just so happens where I was working uh, in Boston, um, Boston U Dental School was on one side and medical school on one side. So one day it was like at lunchtime, let me go and take a look and see what they're doing in dental school. And I, and I go there and I start watching and I see the students carving stuff and working by hands and I say, wow, that's pretty good. I love, I love working with my hands. Um, I always drew, I always made uh, sculpture, you know, I love wood, woodwork and make different things. I've made jewelry and stuff like that. Um, so I was like, wow, oh, this is kind of a nice mix. And- uh, Yeah, you get your chemistry, you know, with the, the, right. the, you know, the labs. The biomaterials. Do, doing that, and that type of and stuff. I, and yeah, then. It's like a creative process. Mm -hmm. To me, it's, a, it's very much, uh, you know, um, a creative process where you build something. You're, you're doing, you know, an art that that's functional. Right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't just sit on the wall. It's in somebody's mouth and they're using it all day. Yeah, so that's a that's a very unique perspective. I've never heard someone say it's that. A, it's a functional art. So um, so that really attracted me, and that I said, you know, so I applied, and uh, even though I didn't have my undergrad degree, but I had a good GPA and. Uh, um, Boston U accepted me. So it was a early acceptance and, and I said, okay, perfect. And uh, so I, I started there. Um, all the other stuff came later, the, the, the physiologic uh, thought process and all that. It's just the way, you know, I think my dad sort of like, I told you my dad was a contractor and he was a builder and he always, uh, whatever he did, he would try to figure out why either a, a structure fails or, or how to fix it or how to build something. He would always teach me how to, you know, over-engineer things. You know, so, so if a building called for, let's say, a, a bar, a metal bar of X 
size, he would say, mm, I'm going to go a little bit bigger just to, to make sure that this thing doesn't fail. Yeah. So that kind of like uh, got me to think about the same way um, how we do in, you know, how we practice dentistry. Got you. So you know, where I really want to kind of take the podcast and for listeners and anyone like listening, you know, dentistry, we could, we could sit here for hours and I'm sure I could let you, you know, dive into the different yeah, procedures you don't, you don't that you do. It. Exactly. <laughs> if I get you going, I feel like, you know, we'll go so deep. And this podcast is called It's Not That Deep. That so deep, right. I, I want to give people kind of a, a high level, you know, um, breakdown on kind of your philosophy w- with all of this. Now, for anybody listening to this podcast, first of all, you have to go follow uh, Dr. Nasseri uh, on TikTok. We'll, we'll link all of this stuff and, and all his socials. And I'm not just saying that because he's a client of ours, but everybody I talk to and everybody that's seen his content is like, oh my God, this is amazing. And that's because the approach that you take to, to things, it, it starts at the breathing level, at the posture level, at the how's your sleep, how's your you know quality of life, what lifestyle choices are you making, all these types of things. And you're touching on, you're not just, you know, making people feel bad about like their choices and stuff, but you're giving them practical, here's what you can do about it. Correct. Right? So that's kind of where I wanted to start is what made you interested in kind of the, the physiology of dentistry to begin with so it's it's um, always um, there's always a story of course to everything right so um, I, here I was uh, this was uh, early 90s uh, I moved here and I was in a pretty nice uh, practice well-known practice my partner had been in there for some uh, 20 25 years at that point and I was doing a lot of cosmetic work and uh, you know, I take my work very personal and, um, you know, of course, the majority of them um, very successful, very uh, happy patients. But there were like this uh, five or six cases that they just bugged me. They, they would continuously break their teeth and uh, um, they, they, they complain about different things, clenching, grinding. And, you know, I just and, and you know, I didn't know anything, so I would do the same, oh, you're not wearing your, you know, night guard, or, or um, you, what are you doing, you're, you're, you're too stressed, you know, all the stuff that I hear people saying, oh, you know, you must not, uh, you must be doing something, you know, are you using any uh, recreational drugs, you know, I, you know, all these stiff, uh, the stuff that, that we, when we, you don't know what you're dealing with, um, they just throw at us and, and uh, to ask, so, and um, I'm, I'm like, I'm a firm believer that you learn from your failures, not from your successes. Obviously, if you have a successful case, you already knew all this stuff in there. So it's, it's the failures that I need to figure out why I failed. And, and these things literally would keep me up at night. I would be waking up and I would be thinking about this five or six cases in my head and, and they're just revolving. Why, why is this lady keep you know, breaking these things? And um, it was a coincidence that I was at a meeting and um, I'm sitting at a table. It was another one of these cosmetic meetings. And this guy that was sitting next to me, it was, uh, it's funny, it's probably from 23, four years ago and I never met this guy again. 
but his name is still, I remember, and I remember where he practiced because how it just sunk in. And it, he just saw me sitting down and, and quiet after watching, you know, these people putting all these beautiful pictures. And he said, uh, what's going on, honey? I said, listen, you know, uh, these are very nice, but, you know, I have these cases that just, like, I can't figure out. And uh, he just, in passing, said, you know what, you should take a look at this, this neuromuscular stuff. And, you know, I, I didn't think of it that much at that point. I just put it in the back of my head, and I said, okay. I had heard about this center in, in Las Vegas that they were teaching this, this uh, uh, new, uh, not so new, I, of course, but, but different philosophy, occlusal philosophy. And um, uh, just so happened, like, within four or five months later, another good friend of mine that, uh, that's, that lives in California, um, he was in town, and uh, I meet with him for dinner and this and that, and then he looks at me like, you know, what's going on? And I'm like, you know, I'm kind of bored with dentistry because I'm doing all these cases, but, you know, there's some stuff that, you know, I, I can't figure out and it's bothering me. And he tells me the same thing. He's like, you should take a look at that mm -hmm. and go to this center. I'm like, oh, okay. And, and then that's when it clicked. I'm like, yeah, that guy told me the same thing. So I started so Maybe going, they're onto something. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm like, okay. So I called that. I called her and they're like, oh, the first thing you have to take is you have to learn how to do veneers. I'm like, buddy, I'm doing 10, 15 cases a month. Uh, you know, I, I know how to do veneers. I know how to glue them on. I know how to fix these cases. I'm interested in nuts and bolts dentistry, not, not this flashy stuff. So they're like, no, that's the only way. So I called my friend who knew somebody in there. I'm like, this, you know, they just don't want to let me go. So he calls the person, and they're like, okay, we're going to make an exception. You can go to the first level occlusion. And I go there, and by 10 a.m., my jaw is on the floor. I'm like, wow, how the hell did they not connect these dots for us in school. Mm -hmm. I mean, we studied the anatomy and physiology and neuroanatomy, but no one really connected, connected it the way these guys had been. So it comes out to this, this guy, Dr. Bernard Jenkelson, back in 1960. He starts and he's a prosthodontist. His wife happens to have MS. And in order to figure out, it takes, them, takes her all over the world trying to figure out how to fix it and it comes to the understanding that hey maybe it's his it's her bite and he comes up with all these uh, uh and it concurs with when boeing uh was going through you know united states when they were going through a, a down cycle so boeing lets off a lot of their engineers so he had a lot of them in his practice in seattle mm -hmm. and he says hey you know you guys are not working do you think you can make it this device for me like this and a couple of them they say yeah we can do it. We can design something. So he ends up making the very first generation of a jaw tracking device, and um, which you know, there's been multiple iteration of it. But so basically, it's like you know, in medicine, if if you look at how they used to use the stethoscope, and now wherever you go, even the, the rinky dinkiest practice, they have an EKG machine, and boom, boom, as soon as you go, they connect, and then they get it. So, so it, it's, it's, it's sort of like that, but it has been a, it's like been a fight in dentistry to try to, to bring, you know, Innovation. devices yeah, yeah. 
into this because um, there's a certain segment of it that just fights it tooth and nail not to have it. It's like, why? Yeah, it's politics. It's, politics. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 it's better not to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But, but so, so, you know, I go there and I, and I start and it just like, it was like a whirlwind it took me for the next 12 years. I was going there like every couple of months to, to Las Vegas and, and taking more courses and more courses and more courses. And just like, uh, it just went in with my philosophy because when I have something that it fails, I want to know why. Mm. So my question is not that, hey, I can fix it. Of course, anybody can fix it. I can't, anybody can carve a crown and put that on. But the question is, that why did it happen? And what do we do so that the it same doesn't fate, happen again? Yeah, it doesn't happen to Mike, the, the new yeah. cap that I put for you. How can we prevent it from exactly. happening in the first place? Exactly. I think that's fundamental. That, you know, yeah. If you don't fix the root cause, then you, you have the same fate again and again. It, it reminds me, um, you know, when we were at dinner um, talking about this as well, um, you know, you brought up something that really, really stuck with me, and it's, you know, why does everybody separate healthcare and dentistry like right. they're not the exact same thing, right? They are, they are like so. In, yeah, they are, they are, they are the same thing. Your dental health is your overall health, right? Why are we separating the two so right. much? And and you know, you were mentioning as well. You know, I think was it Spain or, or something? It's the right. only place where they. You have to go to medical school. Correct. You go to, to medical school and then you go to them. Exactly. So, yes. And, and so kind of that's got me thinking as well, right? Like why are we looking at these things in just an isolated way? Why are we just doing Band-Aid solutions to everything, fixing the, the, the symptom and not really like what's the root cause of it, right? Correct. So, you know, these, these cases, they kept you up at night. You became obsessed with kind of this let's call it new school approach of like musculoskeletal, like the physiology of, of all of this, right? And so how does that then lead to you applying this in your own practice? Like uh, what's the, what's so the next it, it, step it's, there? It's an evolution. It's an evolution. It doesn't happen overnight. And, and it's not easy because you don't have uh, like... All the tools. Not, not only tools, but you don't have another practice to look at and yeah, another person and say, oh, he, they did this and this and then I should follow the same mm -hmm. formula. Yeah, you kind of have to... Pave the way yourself, yeah. Map it as you go along, mm -hmm. right? So um, for me, it was that way. Um, uh, I, I have felt like I've, I'm like this guy in the street that I have like 30 other dentists on the same strip of you know, 41st Street and really they don't know what I do. It's a funny thing. It's, uh, I have dentists that seek my practice and come from different parts of the world to spend a week, sometimes two, in my practice to observe and just shadow. And, and the guys that are like a few hundred yards away from me, they, they never come. They're like, you know, this is the weird guy. He does some, you know, he's putting some Kool-Aid in the water, you know. <laughs> He's, he's doing some voodoo rituals yeah, with his clients. it's crazy. <laughs> I, I just had that one happen, uh, not, not too long, just this week, talked to a, a, this lady dentist, a uh, very nice lady down the street, had a patient that she could not resolve the, the pain and discomfort, and the, the patient herself found me, came to me, and, and it was an occlusal problem. You know, we, had, we made that video with T-Scan, remember? I saw it. Uh, All right, so, so I did two, three sessions of T-scan on her, and her life was just like, oh my God, two years of pain and discomfort and everything, you know, 
I, I, she was going bananas. So, so actually, uh, um, end of August, I'm going to have the guys coming in because she wants to do a testimonial and she wants to die. She, she wrote a great review for us. Now, now I understand there is difference between dentist to dentist. Before I thought everybody does the same thing, but so anyway, so it was it was it's really nice. It's it's life changing, and you, you, now you see why I like this better than you know you know, somebody, you put veneers on them and they're like, oh, but you know this hair, like, yeah. there's just like point <laughs> 0.1, you know, 75 degrees more. To, I'm like, hey, look at your before picture. Do you remember how you look? Now, yeah. now you're like splitting hair over here. Um, but that's, uh, you know, with, with those type of patients, when you give them their life back and then the life without pain, it's, it's just... And that's that's the biggest feeling. thing. I mean, and that's that's what I was going to talk, you know, about next. So I'm glad you logically brought it up. You know, you're removing pain from people's lives, and that's such a personal thing. Right. And that's you're so uh, um, intimately involved with that, right? It, it, it's you're working on people who've been in car accidents, people who have jaw TMJ issues, people right. who are, you know, you're working on cases. It's not just like vanity stuff. It's like uh, you're, you're changing people's lives, right? If you want to just go get, you know, whatever done, like work with the, one of the associates or work, go down the street to right. one, one of the other places, right? Uh, one thing I could, I see so clearly, you know, having you know, gotten to know you the past few months is that you, you genuinely care like a lot about about people about the 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 practice of removing pain from people's lives at dinner you mentioned as well um you know your your family they they kind of joke about you know you, you were saying it yourself that your family kind of jokes like oh well how many um, patients uh, did you make uh, cry today from yeah. from from helping yeah them well out? you know one of the one of the characteristics of pain, people that have been in chronic pain is that they're uh, we know that that uh, long-term chronic pain uh, uh, kind of involves and, and engages uh, our limbic system. So imagine you have pain uh, constantly, you have migraine and headache, and you have family gatherings and everybody's going, but now you have to lay down in a room in the dark because you can't, you know, and this is the trend, you know, uh, day after day, month after month, year after year, and, and what do you think happens to these people? They have depression, they have uh, all kinds of, uh, you know, psychological signs and, and signs and symptoms and but it all comes from that stress cycle now sometimes generally i can get that stress cycle stopped but the psychological part we need help you know um and and sometimes in a nice way i have to tell them that i'm not qualified for that really you really we need to see and talk and 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 have a therapist work through this with you yeah um, because some of them it uh, that pattern becomes ingrained with their personality and mm. it's like they don't know the pain becomes their best friend and wow. all of a sudden they can't let go so um sometimes i've had a couple of patients that i literally said you know you need to do this because the husband ended up leaving the, the mother had cancer and she, she she just could not i'm like look from when we started to now you were disabled. Now you're back to work. But you need to stop just thinking about this. Your mom is in the middle of cancer therapy. Your kids, you're still not spending time doing homework. Yeah. You don't have those pains and symptoms, you know. Uh, it's a so, form of self-sabotage in a way. Correct. I think people find comfort in 
you know, misery sometimes. I, I've seen that a well, lot. Well, you know, I, unfortunately, it becomes part of their, you know, it's like a, in there. It's a victim mentality that we see, see a lot. And it's oftentimes, you know, not to just completely blame the person, right? But so, yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot to it. So going back to making them cry is like, as soon as I sit down, I'm like, okay, let's uh, start here. Let's tell me um, how long have you had, you know, headaches? All of a sudden they start crying. Oh, it started, you know, I was 13 and you know it's been going on, for, you know, and they're 40 years old. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't mean to make you cry, but, uh, you know, uh, but it happens, you know. Yeah. It's, 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 um, it's an emotional subject for them. There's so many practical things you, you talk about in your content. And again, you know, I encourage anybody to go follow Dr. Nasri uh, on the Real Smile pages. And, but I do want to talk a little bit about like some of the practical things that, that people can do to kind of, you know, fix themselves um, when it comes to, you know, breathing right, uh, their posture, lifestyle changes, their sleep, that type of stuff, which you, you touch on all of these things and you do get in depth, but one, I'll make this about me so, so I can be kind of your, your, your patient right now. Actually, I am uh, a client of yours as well now, which is awesome. Um, but you know, one thing I struggled with a lot, um, growing up I, I played football and I was always uh, an athlete and so um, I was always, um, you know, having kind of issues with, with my jaw and stuff from hitting people and whatnot. But that wasn't too big of an issue. But the biggest issue for me was actually when I when I really looked at it, why is this like, keep happening? Why do I keep like hurting myself? And it's because I was breathing through my mouth. So my mouth was always slack. Like I was like not like things were not like tight, right? And I was like, well, why do I breathe through my mouth? It's because I can't breathe through my nose. Can't get enough, yeah. And that's, that's probably true for 80% of the population in modern societies. So, so talk to me about that, because my big thing was, I think it was allergies, honestly. Because the minute I moved out of Canada, like, I was breathing through my nose perfectly fine. Oh, we have our own allergy problems down here. But uh, it depends on whether you're allergic. I'm not sure. I'm not but sure still, what, what it was. Know, yeah. To be honest with you, like, still your voice when you speak is a bit nasally yeah so that still tells me you still do have some certain amount of uh, uh, you know blockage. I definitely breathe through my uh, through my mouth at night and during exercise and certain things like that but what I like let, let's first start with the breathing through your nose thing you had this very specific tip on how you can kind of open up your nose obviously like within reason right if you don't have a complete blockage or something Correct. like that. Correct, have like severe uh, septal deviation and that. So um, one of the things that um, we do have inside our nose, the, the, the cells that produce this, this uh, incredible uh, molecule, nitric oxide. Um, you know, you're Indian, Indian uh, uh, heritage, so you know, in yoga, what do you think that exercise when they do the um, why do you think they do that? I don't know. I always thought it was some kind of frequency. They produce nitric oxide. In really? That's correct. And that has like a calming effect or like no, a... No, nitric oxide is, is a wonder, um, wonder molecule. Um, I think I mentioned it in one of the videos we just did. with. Uh, so the guys that f 
that found and, and, and described it back in 1998, uh, three different uh, laboratories, three different uh, groups, they jointly won the Nobel Prize for Physiology and Medicine that year. Okay. So this molecule is, is nature's best antiviral, antibacterial. It's a vasodilator. Vasodilator, what, what do they give you when you're asthmatic? Uh, inhalers. Inhalers, they're yeah. steroids and what? There's a dilator okay. to open, open up your up bronchial. Your, yeah. So if you breathe through your nose, just that nitric oxide opens up your bronchial. You don't need this. You mm. look at most of the asthmatic kids, they're all mouth breathers. Mm. I, I, I was one. I mean, I just to this day still have inhalers. I don't so need them anymore. Your but yoga. Yeah, okay. So it's all about OM. We gotta, I got to so, go back to my roots. Man. That's correct. That's, <laughs> right. that's why those old, uh, old practices, Tai Chi, and, and they, they described this and they drove this into the, into the minds of their you know, practitioners that, hey, you got to breathe through the nose. You have to have this deep inhale. Mm -hmm. When you breathe through your mouth, you're going to have chest rise type of... You know, and I see it all the time. We're sitting. I love, I love boxing. So um, I'm always watching, and I see, you know, guys sitting between rounds, and they're like, the trainers like, breathe, and they're like, <gasps> and it's horrible. And I'm like, I want to guys, you know, instead of telling <laughs> you, them, you need mastery in the you, know, you need to breathe through, <laughs> and you get the belly rise because the biggest part of our lung is the lower part, mm -hmm. not the upper part. Yeah. You want to get the oxygen the deep down there. The diaphragm moving, yeah. And, and then the oxygen. And then nitric oxide, once it goes in into our bloodstream, actually works like a key because then the cells recognize the oxygen that has the nitric oxide on it and open up and pick up. How do we know that? We know people that are on CPAP, they constantly show on the, on the pulse oximeter that they have 100% oxygenation. Right? Which is good. But, right. Right? Seemingly is good, right? Should but be. But when they do intracellular measurements of the oxygen, it's not 100%. Mm. Because there's not nitric oxide when you shove the air with the, with the fan into their, in their mouth. Mm. So even though it's keeping them alive, it's not the same level of oxygenation on a cellular level. So what do people do then if their nose just feels like it's blocked? Well, number one, you have to first get an examination, make sure that it's not you know, deviation. Most, so the, most I'll, of us I'll, have deviation. I'll make, it, I'll make it about me again. I had that, okay? So I went to the expert. I went to multiple nose, uh, ear, and throat specialists uh, in Canada. Luckily, that stuff's covered over there, unlike yeah, here. Yeah, you guys are covered <laughs> over there, not uh, like here. Uh, but, you know, I remember, and they're like, yeah, no, you've got a deviated septum. We, you should do surgery. And did you do it? I did. Okay. I did do it, and it made zero difference. Mm -hmm. I was still... Absolutely. Ask, did you make it effort to become a nose breather? I didn't even know that, like, how to do that that's, because that's I where couldn't the disconnect breathe. Starts. Like, yeah. I, I talk with ENTs. You know, I, I work with a couple of ENTs very closely, and, and um, that's the thing. I'm like, so it's like having your arm in a sling, right, all your life. And they're like, okay, we're going to take this sling off. What's next? What do you do next? Workout, therapy. Therapy, yeah. right? You got to get the muscles back in there. So yeah. the nose and the air passageway is no different. If you don't get the patients to actually practice and tape lip and, and do the breathing exercises. Yeah, none of that came with so the surgery. So what happens? So 
all day you're taking some allergens because you know you're you're going to breathe some through your nose and the allergens sit over it. That's the other thing. We have no specific hygiene routine. We don't teach anything to our, our, our patients. Mm -hmm. How do you expect that the allergens would sit there and not cause overgrowth of the tissue so their turbinates grows again and then they get all clogged up again? Mm -hmm. So unless we do both, you know, it's like the same thing that happened with me. I was like, we're doing this orthodontics, right? How many kids are getting orthodontics a year? It's, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, correct? Mm -hmm. Nobody sits and talks to these guys and say, hey, the reason your teeth were all crowded is that you were breathing through your mouth, your tongue was on the floor, it was never in the palate, and that's why you have crowding. So guess what happens as soon as they take the wires off? That kid still is a mouth breather, walking around with their, you know, catching flies with their mouth. And lips and cheeks are always working. They're always gonna squeeze that arch and make it. So then they say, oh, you didn't wear your retainers. That's why it went bad. That's why it's all, but now we have to do Invisalign for you. Mm. I get patients in my office that have done Invisalign. They have done braces as a kid, and then they have done Invisalign like three times. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Something's did, not working there. <laughs> so I'm like, did anybody tell you that you're tongue-tied? No. Did anybody tell you that you need to have your lips sealed? No. Did anybody tell you that you need to be a nose breather? That's nature's own retention. That's, that's, you know, that's why we find skulls from 5,000 years ago and they had perfect teeth. They didn't have better orthodontists, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, that's really interesting to, to hear that perspective. But I still want to go back to, okay, even if, like, okay, if you had told me that back then when I literally could not breathe through my nose, like I felt like I couldn't do it, what would I tell some, what would you tell somebody in that situation right now? Obviously they need to see, see an expert, it's case by case, but Correct. I mean, you're telling me I should have been breathing through my nose, I should have you know, had my, right my, my tongue on, on the top of my mouth when resting, um, and, and at nighttime as well, I should be doing things like taping my mouth and stuff. Again, after you make sure that your nose you is open. You can breathe through your nose, yeah. I couldn't. So even if I wanted to, which I really desperately did, I didn't know how. So like I've tried every nasal spray like that you could sell at a CVS. Did I even you get did the nasal the, wash that I that I showed, uh, showed no, you. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not talking about now. Okay. Now, now I'm, I'm, I can breathe through my nose, and okay. I feel like most of the time I do. But back then, and I think for me personally, all I can say is maybe I had a ragweed allergy or or something because in Canada, like it's just so bad. The right. four seasons are just so bad for me. I'm really good in the heat. I love well, we it. We have to ask the question why? Because for thousands of years, humans lived in the nature. Mm -hmm. Why are we so allergic? Because maybe maybe we have a too clean. We have, maybe mm. we, we keep our kids too much out of nature. Um, and, and Their immune uh, systems are weak correct, and stuff because, like that. Yeah. Um, there are new companies coming out and, and there are different ways that are approaching all these allergies by actually micro introduction of the allergens to the patient. Mm. To actually giving you and getting you to, to your body to say, okay, these, these things are normal everyday things and it's like the concept of a vaccine basically yeah yeah okay i got so, you um so so then you know okay we kind of touched on the nose you know the when you can try your best to breathe through your nose and seek uh, expert help and and stuff absolutely. like that yeah, I mean, try you know that's the first thing right try to get breathing through your nose but then 
you say uh, one big pillar of content that I see you, know, you talk about is mouth taping. I have tried this and I can't stand it. I, I always would go to, easy. I go to bed with the tape on. I, I did this, I think it was like for a week and a half. I put the tape on and without fail every morning, without realizing it, I'd wake up it and I had taken it up. I was like, man. It's, it's very normal. It's very normal. So I mean, do you say just the, keep doing it? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, did you stop getting up as a child the first time that you fell? Yeah, no, you're no. right, you're right, you're you right. Know, you know, you keep getting up and you, you try again. So, the, you right, know, right. it's a good thing kids don't think like adults, right? Because otherwise none of them would learn how to walk. No, that's but, true. But yes, for, my, for me personally, it took me eight months. And yes, the first month, month and a half, you know, even with the nasal dilators, I, I gave some to the guys. I don't know if you guys you, you ever use it. Yeah. Um, you know, I would wake up and I would, I had taken it out of my nose. Um, but you stick with it. And now I'm to the point that I don't even know it's there. Sometimes, you know, I get up, I get ready and, and my wife says, you know, you still have that thing in your nose. I'm like, I do? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, uh, it, it, there is a curve of getting used to. Yeah, uh, what, I, what I really like is the strip. I've been putting I, the, I mean, the... If it works for you. It works for me really well, and, and my girlfriend can attest to this. Um, you know, when I put that thing on, I'm not snoring anymore. Good. Like, this is her saying that, not me. You know, she could confirm this, but I'm like, okay, that means the it's doing something. That, okay, so if that opens up, and you can now tape and learn how to keep your tongue in the palate, because... Mm. Um, that that will go, and I'm I'm gonna promise you, you're gonna get another level of comfort and and rest in your sleep. And and I definitely need that because I've been kind of tracking my sleep using one of those whoop, uh, you know, yeah. tracker things, and it tells you how much deep sleep, REM mm -hmm. sleep, all that uh, sort of thing. And it's definitely not as good as, as you know I'd like it to be. Right. Now I think there's other factors that play there. Uh, you know, a little bit too much partying, a little sure. bit too much going sure. to bed late, sure. lifestyle stuff, right? Of course. But um, you know, all things equal, I think you know having the the mouth, uh, the nose. What do you call it? Dilator. What's yeah, it? it's basically something goes and just kind of like. Yeah. Opens up the, the two sides. That or tape, uh, uh, like the, the strip, and then putting tape on your mouth can dramatically improve you know, your Correct. sleep. In, in, in simpler cases, I would say probably 70, 75% of the cases, that's all they need. Okay. Um, on, on really bad deviation cases, I highly suggest, I mean, there's a mounting evidence and research shows that kids that show uh, deviation in septum by seven or eight or nine, um, by age 40, they have AFib, atrial wow. fibrillation, yes. So now they know there's a big connection between uh, uh, all these arrhythmias that we're seeing in adult population and nasal blockage. Mm. So, uh, and they, they, they've seen it, they, they, the left ventricular uh, size of the, the heart, the left ventricular hypertrophy is overworking. The good news is that when they do the nasal correction and they learn how to do that within a year, the size of the heart goes back to normal. Wow. So we know these stuff. This, this research is out there. It's, 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 it's crazy how much, like, if you draw the line back of everything, it comes back to breathing through the nose. Listen, everything in dentistry we deal with today goes back to that. 
But it's way more than just dentistry you're talking about. Well, of course. And, so, and, and I'm just saying on, on, on the level that I deal with, yeah. I, I, you know, That's of crazy. course, you know, I'm, I'm very much into health and fitness and, you know, I watch my diet and I exercise routinely, you know. Um, those are my other hobbies, correct. And I'm, you know, when I look at my patients, of course, you know, I want them to live as healthy and as long as they can, you know. Uh, so I... I regularly talk about this with people and a lot of times, and sometimes with new patients, they're not ready. They're not ready for a dentist. It's an uncomfortable them. conversation. Yeah, you know, I, I just had one recently. A young lady came in and, um, for a new, as a new patient, and I, you know, I think she was from some sort of affluent family from New York, but I don't care. I mean, I, I'm going to tell you what I see. And, um, you know, she just comes to me right after... Um, an exercise place, so she had exercise clothing, and um, so I check her, you know, basic dentistry-wise, you know, there was nothing, but she said, oh, I said, you know, I do see something else, and she was like, what? I said, you have sleep breathing problem, and she looks at me, how do you know? I said, you know, X, Y, Z, so I go through the whole thing, and I tell her, listen, you do this, you snore, and, and she admits so, and it's like, you know, and my husband and my brother have the same problem. I'm like, okay, I said, by the way, I, you know, I just want to let you know, you will never lose an ounce of weight if you, if you don't change this, this sleep pattern because when you go through this sleep, you're going through parasympathetic path. You're not going sympathetic, you know, and, and so I, you know, she had like a medical background. She could understand what I'm talking about. So basically, you know, we have two, uh, uh, autonomic nervous system, yeah. right? After when, when, you're, when you're not thinking, you're not doing things, you know, when you fall asleep. So the autonomic nervous system uh, gets your involuntary muscles working um, and makes the things go on. So parasympathetic is what? Everybody knows parasympathetic, right? That's fight or flight. So if I attack you right now, what yeah. happens to you? You, you know, yeah. you, you're going to produce two, two things. You're going to produce adrenaline and you're going to produce cortisol, mm -hmm. correct? Cortisol is the stress hormone, right? And that's, that's what's responsible for you to, to make, uh, uh, you know, like if you see people sleeping and they, they make these sudden moves mm. and then... I know, do that. That's yeah. cortisol. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I, I think I have a lot of that. Why do I have to learn that? Because people that break their teeth, cortisol. Yeah. So if their mouth is open and it's falling back and the tongue is in the airway, the only way to save your life is for the activation or hyperactivation of the masticatory muscle so your teeth can come together and you can find the gearing and the jaw can come forward and hopefully your airway opens up. Whoa. Okay, so it's a, it's a, it's a life-saving mechanism, but that clench is 20 to 25 times as stronger than chewing, a, let's say, a steak. Wow. That's why teeth break. So, oh but cortisol, let's go back to that. It's, it's like a poison that we produce inside our body. So, it saves your life that moment, but it does a hundred. It's like long-term damage. Bad. It's a. Yeah. It's a. It's an extremely inflammatory molecule. So, uh, let's just start with uh, what it does uh, uh, to you know insulin production. So everything you eat is going to get stored as fat uh, uh, right around our midsection. It uh, goes through our. our um, system and, and you know we we know there is connection between that and lupus between that and irritable bowel syndrome the, uh, it passes through blood brain barrier so it goes to our brain it doesn't you know stay out so we know people who have early onset 
Dementia. Dementia. Yeah. Mammillary bodies in the middle of the brain, they have more breakdown because of the inflammatory. So there is, there is a humongous, crazy. I mean, this is a crazy molecule. You know, if you had an organ transplant, you know that people get organ transplant and they put them on a medicine. Afterwards, they have to go once a week or so and they give them this infusion of this medicine, the anti-rejection medicine. What yeah. do you think that is? Cortisol. It's cortisol? They're giving you stress? Because it shuts down your immune system. Oh. So now you're more open to accepting a different organ, but you're also not immunocompromised, so you can get catch, you know, colds and viruses and, God forbid, you know, wow. something like COVID. Wow. So, so when this whole thing came out, I'm like, I'm trying to tell my patients, listen, try to breathe through your nose more. Because we have, what? Nitric oxide in there. Which, like, counteracts Which is an anti antivirus. Antiviral wow. design. So, um, some of these things are just our systems, and, you know, we just have to understand the physiology inside us better. Uh, we need to communicate these things more uh, uh, openly with physicians. We have to open their mind and the understanding that, hey, what we understand, what we know from on our side in dentistry, how we can hopefully help in tandem. Um, but, you know, one of the biggest things that I have seen in 20 years is like open minds is really hard to find. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of the physicians that I approached, you know, I, I do have like half a dozen guys that now after 20 years of fine looking, you know, that I work with. But the main, you know, mainstream is always uh, a pharmaceutical. You know, they go to the doctor, oh, you got to take this. Oh, you got to mm -hmm. take the steroids. You know, and, and nobody talks about a tool that we all have that we all we are born fix. with things yeah. that we should fix fundamentally that's that's so interesting to me to hear that you know obviously a, a lot of these lifestyle choices have an impact but if you can just do this one thing that very few people even talk about it can have a ripple effect positively on on everything and you know like coming up in school and and everything like we're all taught to brush our teeth we're all taught to floss you know, we're, we're told the basic things, but like, are we really? Because like, the, the seems like the biggest thing that no one has ever, like up until like this last year, it's a little bit more in fashion now, people talking about the mewing, the, you know, breathing through your nose, taping mouth, you know, it, it's yeah. a little bit more accepted, but growing up, but, you would never you hear know, anyone talk about have, breathing through your nose. I do have my, uh, uh, this mewing, I mean, it's great. But people have completely taken it out of, out of context. Me, well, yeah, they just want a strong-looking jaw now. Right? And, and they think, okay, if I do 15 minutes of mewing in the morning and 15 minutes in the... But mewing is merely an exercise to strengthen your, your tongue. Mm -hmm. It's the correct swallow pattern and lip seal that's critical. Why? Because you do that 2,500 times a day to swallow. So if you have the right strength, so the, the end game should be the correct swallow pattern. Wow. Mewing is That's just the thing the you, it's you like, were talking to me about in, in, in when, you did, when we did my cleaning, right? Right. It's like the swallow pattern. And I'm completely okay talking about this. this all. Right. So, so, you know, you notice that, you know, my tongue doesn't, I never reach. do that. Because no. I never do. Like, I, I could tell you that I never put my tongue on the roof of my mouth. But you're saying, like, 
you're even teaching your hygienist, like, hey, look, look, take a look yes. at this guy. Look, okay. you can see that his... I, I have to teach her what to of look Of course. Like. Oh, no, I love it. I'm fine with that. Uh, you're talking about, what was it, the uvula or something the like uvula, that? You're, you're like, look, I could tell that this guy, his... Um, Pattern, uh, you know, his his tongue is definitely he's got bad mouth posture. Talk to me about mouth posture and like what are people supposed to be doing? So the correct correct mouth posture or lip posture is lip seal. Like I see kids all the time that are like, yeah, their mouth is sitting on the you know, and the lips are apart. And mm -hmm. and and I always tell the parents, listen, if they're not speaking, laughing, or eating, lips should be always. Even during eating, we want the lips together. We don't want to eat with mouth open. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to emphasize those. Uh, and when parents bring their kids, I, first thing I tell them, listen, this only going to work if you're a helicopter pattern, pattern, you know, parent. I'm sorry, because parents who are like. Easy going. Like, yeah, yeah, they, they kind of hands off with their kids. This is not going to work. They, you know, you're not going to tell a, uh, a six-year-old, okay, do this, what, do what the doctor said, and then when you walk out, I'm there for about you know, 15, 20 minutes in, in this kid's life uh, in once every two weeks. Um, it's the parent. So um, a lot of our exercises are, are not just teaching the kid, but really is directed to teach the parent what to look for and what to ask the you know. It's kind of like those things, you know, I don't know if you had a grandmother. Did you have a grandmother in your, in your family at home? Yeah, yeah but not at home uh, often, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, like in the old times, you know, the grandparents were in the home and they were the ones that they're sitting at the table to like you know, smack you one. And yeah, say, yeah, yeah. Don't put your elbow on the table. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Don't eat with your mouth open. Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. uh, we need more grandmothers. That's what <laughs> I mean. Yeah, we do. That's a, that's, that's a really, really interesting point is, you know, it starts from parenting and it starts from yes. when you're a child, right? And so there's that responsibility of, of a parent to kind of instill a lot of these habits early on because if you had some of this training when you're young, it's like, it's like how you, you see set these them up. That's, that's what my focus is with, with our interventional orthopedics that we do now. Um, trying to set these kids up because after 20 years of dealing with TMD patients, where do you think the TMD patients come? Where do you think they're... they're they they started off as... That's it. Yeah. It's, it's just those patients, like, uh, probably like 85, 90% of us have this skeletal growth discrepancy because the tongue was not in there. So if everything below our eyes is supposed to grow because of the function of the tongue, and if the tongue is constantly on the floor and the kids are walking around with the mouth open and because they, they have allergic rhinitis and all kinds of other things. Uh, so all of our faces, we actually have unfinished business. We have unfinished growth. Mm -hmm. So now the teeth are not where they were supposed to be, but nobody gave the memo to the muscles. So muscles, they still came out where the DNA set has to go and they want to function in a different trajectory, but the teeth are in a different trajectory. So most of us have certain amount of discrepancy. So is that when you get underbites and overbites? That's where that comes from? Well, yeah, those yeah. are more, more severe cases. Like your case is a very mild discrepancy, mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. um, but somebody that has a really bad overbite where the upper teeth completely covers, you don't see when they're mm -hmm. closed, you don't see any of the lower teeth, mm -hmm. that's, that's a severe overbite and then you mm -hmm. have the underbite which people that are class three that are completely you know um i mean i get you know, i had last week i had a kid that they drove all the way from orlando uh down to see us because uh, the only choice they had given this uh, 10 year old girls you know uh, it was heartbreaking honestly because she came in the mother came in with the three girls 
So the older sister and the younger sister, they were perfectly good. The middle sister, she had this huge class three and, and concave face. So the mid face is completely underdeveloped. And as I walked in, the first thing I looked and the kid is sitting there and breathing heavily. I can hear it. So I tell the mother first, what are you doing? What are you doing for her breathing? What are you doing for her? She's like, she, she can't breathe through her nose. And then the two sisters turned to her mother like, ma, that's why she snores every night. Sometimes people just don't see the, What's the obvious. In front of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, and, and so, and the, the only, uh, they hadn't done anything. The dentist, she's like, you know, I've been taking her to dentist for 10 years, you know, and nobody has told me all this stuff. She was tongue tied. She was not a nose breather. She, her mouth constantly open. And I said, listen, the, you know, the, the mechanics of how when, the, when your lower teeth constantly hit in front of the upper teeth, you're never going to get bone growth there. You're going to push backwards. So in the m minimum, you need to take that away and you need to open the bite. You need to, to put tools in there to, to help mold because, you know, we have still a little bit of uh, um, window. Maybe we can help her. But it's sad to see that, you know, that, that type of science is just not taught. So they had gone to an orthodontist and there was, an, oh, we got to take some of her teeth out and pull oh this. Oh, my God. Like, and that's so painful. Hey, and to do that to her, how old was she? Forget about that. That's just maiming. That's, oh, my you God. Know, yeah, you're that's... taking perfectly vital, you know. The problem was not the lower jaw. The problem was the upper jaw. We need to make that grow instead of taking teeth from the good jaw, you know. It's a funny thing. Some years back, uh, when my girls were in, in elementary school, I was like, one day I was frustrated because I had a similar case. And I, and I go home and I said, let me ask you something. Let's say I have a guy here and he has a normal hand and a short hand. And we want to fix this guy. We want to help this guy. And I told my girls, how do you, how do you, how should, how do you think we should fix it? Should we take a little bit of the good hand and make it shorter, the same size as the other one, or should we try to help and make the other hand that's short bigger? And they look at me like crazy. Dad, you're nuts. Of course, we're not going to touch the good hand. I'm like, thank you. I just wanted to make sure I'm not crazy. But kids see that. But yet, as adults, I don't know. I see this all the time in our profession. These are the conflicts that I have in my head mm. that they say, oh, it can't be done. Just because mm -hmm. you don't know how doesn't mean that, that it doesn't exist. <laughs> Very so true. That's why, you know, I, I study with my mentor who, who's a, you know, I've been doing that for the last two years. She's, she's in Brazil, right? Brazil, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, she has two PhDs in orthopedics and bone, bone physiology. And, and the stuff that I'm just learning from this lady is just amazing. It's just the science of it, how they had figured out how to stimulate without pushing, without pain, without... Uh, having stiff appliances, how the body is, has its own mechanism for growth. It's just, you know, unfortunately, we don't teach that here. I've got a few questions left here before yep. we wrap up. Uh, one question is, why do you think that, you know, medicine as it is, you know, here in, in the U.S. Uh, is not open to, you know, these other principles, these other methods. And, you know, you even tie in some Eastern philosophies to this stuff as well. Right. Well, it, it's really not that hard to understand. Um, I think um, 
I think 70 years ago, we, we changed, um, we took physiology out and, and it practices, whether it's dentistry or medicine, it's more of a business model. For profit. You know, I hate to say it, but it is, it is that, you know, I talk to orthodontists and, you know, listen, they're seeing 125 kids a day and, you know, they just have this machine that goes through, they have six or seven assistants, they really don't do anything, they just go and say, okay, change this wire to that and that, do that, this, that one. That was my dental this. experience so my whole life. <laughs> that's the only way you're going to see a kid every 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And basically everybody gets that, so it's, it's more of a business model. And, um, you know, it's not, there's no way you can do the type of work that I do. I, you know, my, my practice is a very low flow practice. And, um, you know, there's no way I can see that type of flow. I can't do what they do, they can't do what I do. Uh, because a long time ago I decided that my practice is gonna be based on providing the most logical, organic, physiologic concepts to my patients. Uh, that's, that's where I go. I'm, I'm not interested in, you know, having, you know, 200 new patients. You know, I get the, these guys, now that you guys made me famous, I get like uh, these texts all day. I can get you 100 patients. I'm like, I don't even know what to do with 100 patients, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's, that's a really, I, and that's so true to your philosophy, right? Is you actually, again, it comes back to it, like you actually care about the people that you're treating. You care about the problem solving of it all. And yeah, I love the approach. It, it, and it comes through, your clients love it. And I see it, I'm even sitting in the waiting room and they're happy to, to, you know, pay whatever it is because they're getting their problem actually solved. They might have tried 50 right. things, 500 different dentists, you know. And so that's kind of the, what I want to wrap this podcast sure. up with is, um, you know, I, I mean, we could sit here all day and dive into everything, right? But what's, the, what's next? How are we going to take this message and, and multiply the Nasri approach? the real smile approach well, how can we get this well you know, you know i've always had uh, associates that i bring in and i start to introduce them to to that way of thinking and then actually putting that the science i always tell them it's the science that you studied the first two years and learning how to actually apply it to day-to-day -day practice um and and a lot of them are, are shocked at the beginning but then once they see it because once your eyes opens up and you see these things you can't you can't put that stuff and, and close that mind again. Um, so we do have, as you know, we have, I have my, uh, my teaching uh, um, programs that I, that I do classes from time to time. Um, uh, I do bring other lecturers into town and- uh, You do kind of seminars and stuff as seminars, well. Seminars, yeah. yeah. Um, but right now I'm really focusing on, on really teaching and, and uh, getting my associates uh, more well versed on on these uh, you know type of treatments yep. and um, hopefully expand the the our brand. I have I have an idea. Yeah, I think there needs to be a, a Nasser University. <laughs> I think that there needs Far to be. You need to distill what everything that you've learned into some type of course or something that know. and a certification. Because you told me that you can, you actually can certify people, right? Well, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, um, what do you call it? A, a, a certified CE provider. So I'm a, I'm a, 
for AGD or uh, Academy of General Dentistry, I'm, I can actually give classes and there give, you go. give uh, continuing education. Uh, start the university. I, I think it is. I, I think you know how many. Do you know how many different places are? I mean, then you're you're gonna start getting into this whole uh, 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 world of uh, you know these different institutions that are, have teachings and and you get into politics. You know, one thing I've learned: the politics. I, yes, you don't like yeah, the politics. No, no, because you know why? I've been to so many of them the last twenty years, and I see while I see the good part and I learn from them, I see at the end of it they don't incorporate some of the stuff because it's not in their best interest. Mm. So everybody can, and I don't want to turn into that, you know? That's I, true, I, yeah. I, I, I am a free agent. I'd like to get my information from a lot of different places and wherever I think is gonna benefit my patients and, and uh, uh, make my, uh, so I, I don't think I want to ever just have my own teaching center and then, uh, you know. Uh, at least if you could like package up, you know, the, the seminars and things that you're doing for at least the dentists that would share your philosophy, not, you know, trying to convert every single dentist right. out there into yeah. this is, you know, this, this is, is the way. This is not for everybody. This not, right? This but not. for the ones who are passionate about taking their client's right. pain away and not just profit. It's a very think, small market. But hey, it doesn't have to be a big one, right? I mean, if you're still grassroots serving, you know, one-to-one -one or small groups, that means that there's an interest out there. And so I would just challenge you, right. Dr. Nasri, on this podcast because I oh, like, boy. you know, you always, you keep me accountable. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking as well for you. If we want to get this message to as many people as possible, I think there should be something you know, for those who are interested in this approach. Absolutely. I, I've had an open door policy to any uh, doctor for the last 20 years. And uh, like I said at the beginning, you know, I've had uh, doctors fly, fly in from Germany, from Spain, uh, other parts of the country and coming in and shadowing and, and just getting familiar. And then I tell them, you know, take this course with this guy, take that course with that guy, take this one, and then mm -hmm. you're gonna incorporate and see how. Uh, what I find is that a lot of people are, you know, in, in many, in, you know, I think you can say that about any profession. I would say 95% of people are just followers, kind of cookbook professional. You know, they can, you can give them, it's okay, you know, you go to hospitals right now and they have protocols. You're gonna do this, 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 and a, a lot of the physicians don't even think about, they're like, oh, no, the step says we have to do this next. Yeah. And I, I see that in my field and um, uh, it's- But you're the doctor house. To, to the you have you know, to those have, people. You, you have know? to have critical thinking. And yeah. um, I know that in any profession, you're gonna have about 5% of that professional that has critical thinking. And then you have that 0.5% that are just true, true visionaries and they see that. And then um, those guys with the, you know, um, critical thinking, they're, they're the ones that, that looks out. That guy has, you know, he figured out something. Then they follow, those are early adopters. So um, I think of myself as that. I, I just question everything, and if something doesn't make sense to me uh, on, a, on a physiologic level, then I'm like, there's gotta be a different way. And you know, just to wrap this up, that just reminds me of the first day that I met you when I walk in your office, I see this big Tom Brady sign poster, <laughs> and um, you know, it just speaks to you know, volumes of 
you know, what you try to emulate in, oh, in man, your... Oh, man, I get a lot of, you know, being down here in Miami Beach in, in Florida for the last 30 years, I get a lot of flack for that because, you know, <laughs> because everybody's, they, they, they hate, hate they New hate. England and they are, but, you know, that's okay, that's, I don't mind. Uh, I just really appreciate uh, the excellence, the dedication to the field, and, you know, I, I don't care about the rest of his life. It's none of my business, obviously, but um, anybody that has that much dedication and that much uh, uh, passion for his work... Um, you know, uh, it didn't hurt that gave us, you know, he gave us 20 great seasons. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Nasri, I really appreciate you coming Thank on the show today. Me. Thank you for coming on. Tell people where they can find you on social media. Uh, well, social media, you should better do that. I, I don't even know my handles. <laughs> real <laughs> smile, at real smile. Dr. Hamid Nasri, Google him, you'll find him. He's the man. Appreciate you so Thank much you. for coming Thank on today. Thank you for having me.